Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape or houseplants or whatever, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. It is Saturday morning, and Mr. Kelly. Yes. St. Patrick's Day is coming up. I know. So what are you guys going to do? I got my green shirt on. I know, but yeah. it doesn't have a shamrock on. No, this is mineral water bowl. Oh, mineral 1995. Whoa. Yeah. I was uh, only six years old then. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, not 1895, Mike. Uh, 1995. Oh, oh, oh. <clears throat> yeah. Are you going to celebrate St. Uh, Patrick's Day? No, nah, we used to, but, I mean, with all these restrictions, yeah. I, don't know, I think we're going to blow it off. You, I mean, now there'd be people just clamoring downtown here. Right. They'd already be lining up for the parade. Right. And exactly. uh, I guess they could line up. They, they drink so much, they probably see parades even if they're not one there. You know? At least a mental parade. Oh, I love that float. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I'll probably have a, a Guinness or a good Irish beer. All right. Yeah, I got a, I got one from our local brewery, I'm going to say, for Wednesday. Oh, really? And so, yeah, you know, we'll, uh, we'll make the best of it for sure. Sounds the Irish perfect. always do. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yes. Well, great. We'll enjoy. I will. Folks, it is Saturday, as I said, and a roundtable discussion. What's going on? <sighs> Spring is here. Daffodils are all over the place. Crocus are all over the place. So thank goodness for that. But uh, how about your specialty garden space, that new vegetable garden, that you, your herb garden, or whatever it happens to be? How about your houseplants? How are they doing? And uh, what is potting mix? And should I improve my soil or does it really matter all that much? And if I should, what should I do to it? Should I be pruning anything right now? Should I be shearing things? Uh, what about those bagworms that are hanging on? How can there be bagworms on this plant? There's not even supposed to be bagworms on these. Hmm. On bald cypress? Huh, that's very strange. Anyway, using information that I'll share with you. You can make your decision yourself, but hopefully it'll help you solidify your options. And that final judgment, as I said, is yours. And this is your shows, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home where we can have a discussion. And uh, another very important player in this game is Alex. He's producing, and he's pushing all the buttons, and he answers the phone. So when you call, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. 
I'm Mike Miller, and I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I can come to your home and do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to come and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today, after the show, I'm headed to uh, where I guess that's technically maybe it's Shrewsbury. I'm not exactly sure. You know, 63109 is the zip code. But uh, anyway, so it's going to be fun. It's down there where uh, Kenrick plaza and all that uh, the seminar or seminary is and all in that area basically well let's get moving today's good gardening stroll is brought to you by st louis composting 636-861-3344 very early morning sky highlighted the dominant architectural feature across the street were uh, blue gray spruce mugle pine ground ivy among other evergreens were uh, giving a sigh of relief visually and an old-time alley with red bricks was running southward from here. And a 45-degree angling parking as far as along this was Russell. And uh, it's just a newer information sign. Boy, oh, boy, it's telling this is Compton Hill Tower. And it's open the first Saturday of each month, 12 to 4, and uh, during a full moon from 530, it opens at 530 each month, each month between March and November. Admission is $5. And more information, www.watertowerfoundation.org. And interesting thing, uh, all the huge trees have really made the sidewalk real interesting. So it gave it great visual texture, and you just have to kind of watch out as you're walking along. Right at the intersection of Grand and Russell is a bunch of, uh, on each side of the street, uh, knockout roses. Not showing any kind of uh, waking up or anything. So, Anyway, there was some fresh mulch at the base of the Reservoir Park sign. So that's, this is Reservoir Park, but it's the Compton Heights water tower that's the dominant feature in there. There's hemlock trees. There's bald cypress. The reflecting pool, wow, it does a perfect reflection, or this morning, perfect reflection of the water of the Compton Heights Tower. There's benches and water birches and sycamores galore. Coral bells and daffodils fill the circular bed around this statue. And the statue was erected in 1914. And in 1914, this statue was erected, and it was to honor the American-German press. And it's called the Naked Truth Monument. Interestingly enough, two months after this statue was uh, erected and dedicated or whatever, that's when World War I started. <laughs> kind of interesting. So uh, the German-American press, they didn't say anything about, well, we're going to have a war real soon. But anyway, there's a black wrought iron fence which encloses the tower, and there's signage that says, Danger, keep out. So just realize that. And just to the north, Robins were having a really big get-together in another hemlock. There is a dog waste, waste station, which offers bags and a reminder to clean up after your dog. Huge amounts of fruits lay underneath this female ginkgo tree. Luckily, uh, the fragrance wasn't quite as bad as it is sometimes, but uh, the fruits have been on the ground uh, for a little bit of while. And... Uh, and there's steps that you can climb up to go to the base of the reservoir. Squirrels were running all over the place. A starling group came swooping down. But uh, 
the best relief of the day here at the Compton Heights Tower was there was a star magnolia that was starting to open up saying, Welcome spring. Winter is just about over. Mike Miller, KMOX, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're going to start the day off with going into Don's yard. Hi, Don. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, last September, I took a gamble and uh, decided to do a little lawn renovation. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, St. Louis Composting deliver eight yards, and I spread that around. And uh, then I seeded it with fescue, but I was nervous about it uh, germinating, so I overseeded it with some uh, annual rye which uh, germinated fine and has been growing nicely over the winter. Mm-hmm. Now I wonder if I should reseed there with the fescue this spring and uh, really don't know what's going to happen with that annual rye. Is it going to die off eventually or, or compete yeah. with the fescue? Yeah, the annual rye, basically when it starts getting hot, it's going to melt. So it's going to be gone. So as far as overseeding again, if you're going to do that, you could certainly do it. I would say, you know, it's, you're not going to have necessarily a thick lawn with just one seeding, but I wouldn't do it too soon because the ground is still pretty cool and to get it to germinate. So I'd probably, you know, it sounds like this is something really important to you. I'd go to my favorite garden center or, you know, hardware store that has a lot of, let's say, landscape-related stuff and get a soil thermometer and start probing around in your soil. And when the temperature of your soil in various locations starts hitting 50 degrees, that's when I'd spread the new seed. Okay. And uh, so is there, is there any hope that that seed, that I, the fescue that I planted last September, is that going to still germinate or is that a lost cause? No, no. It's probably, you know, it may have already germinated and you're just not conscious of it. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Very good. All right. I'll keep an eye on it. Thank uh, you. Sounds perfect. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm going to tell everybody, I mean, I keep saying, well, when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, but uh, if you don't have forsythia in your neighborhood, then that's a little bit, uh, so a soil thermometer, they're not all that expensive, and that's a way to, because we're really spending a lot of time and energy in our landscapes, and especially our lawns. So thanks, Don, and now let's head over to Anna's, and she lives in Alton. Hi, Anna. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was uh, wondering if you could say a little bit about wind-prone roses and how to go about doing that. Uh, basically, are we talking shrub roses? Are we talking the hybrid teas, grandiflores, floribundas, the traditional type roses? Uh, I think they're just the good old-fashioned traditional roses. Yeah, basically, you you should have pruned them You know, going into wintertime. Hopefully, you did that. And then now do you want to cut them back? I'd probably wait for another couple weeks, but you can check with the Missouri Botanical Garden website and mobot.org to find out specifically. But you want to get them cut down to about 8 inches or so and probably like the by mid to late April, early May, before the new growth begins. All right. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, again, it's before the new growth, but uh, so I'm just saying sometimes it's that late. Sometimes it's a little bit earlier, so just kind of watch. And as soon as you start to see some buds coming on the stems, that's when you should prune them down to about 8 to 10 inches. Okay. Thank you. Sure. 
And now let's go from Alton, not too far away. Jump the river, though, into St. Charles and see what's going on with Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good morning. I need some professional advice. I've got two issues going on. One of them has to do with a pin oak uh, that I've got out in the front yard. It's about 24 years old, and uh, it really puts out a lot of uh, acorns. And uh, unfortunately, my squirrels have not decided to carry the holes off with them, so I've got a yard full of holes. Um, My understanding is that if you leave those holes out there, they'll eventually deteriorate and ruin the soil and the grass. Uh, the hole, the hole in and of themselves, physically, when the squirrel digs a hole, that could do some damage to your lawn. Yes, but the hole in and of itself is not. It's only you know the fact that it's there. And when the squirrel dug down, he disrupted the crowns of your lawn and things like that. So that's where the problem comes in. Okay, how do I go about cleaning up all those? shells those holes are out there well are you saying hulls h-u-l-l-s not holes yes uh basically you can i mean you can kind of just leave it as a mulch if you want to because it's kind of finely shredded so i mean to rake it is going to be pretty much impossible and i don't think you have a vacuum sweeper to go out there because you can't raking is you know the reason why i'm saying it's impossible because the pieces are so small i would say just uh that's the way it goes the other issue that I have, um, my holly bushes, uh, some of them are dying off. Uh, would it be advantages to just go ahead and dig them out and put in new replacement bushes or trim these old ones down some and hope for new growth? Well, you, what you could do, I don't know, are they dying on the side? Let's say they're backed up to a, a structure or something, or are they dying just randomly, branches here or there, or where are they? Is there a yeah, specific? they're dying. They're, they're planted right alongside the garage, and um, they, uh, they've been growing for 20 years or better. Oh. And I noticed that uh, the ones that are up alongside the garage wall uh, are dying off. The branches are turning brown. The growth is turning brown. The right. ones that are against the uh, foundation of the house, those are still okay. And they're all the same age? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, the ones, you know, the, by the garage, it must, you know, there must be something in the soil that's different than around your house because, I mean, the, the hollies definitely need an acidic soil. So, I mean, what you could do is prune off all the dead stuff and just get some small ones and plant them in front of the ones that are having problems and let them grow together. Uh-huh. Or you uh-huh. can pull these out. And improve the soil before you put any new ones in to make sure that you're going to get the right pH because they need an acidic soil versus an alkaline soil. And whenever okay. there's concrete, there's alkalinity. I got it. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Okay. I appreciate your service. Certainly. Thank you for having me on your show. And now let's head out to St. Peter's. What's going on in St. Peter's? Hello? Hello. Mike, thank you for taking the call. Sure. And a great show. Well, thank you. I have you. a problem with clover in our yard. How do we get rid of clumps of clover all over the yard? Oh, I mean, clover is somewhat vicious. And uh, just realize, I don't know how much and how big they are or anything else, that when you get rid of them, then you're going to have big spots that, you know, there's nothing there. So you're going to have problems in relationship to mud in those locations. But uh, you can use a broadleaf, you know, broadleaf weed killer. I would go, you know, kind of gentle at first and then 
or if it's really problematic for you and you can't, you know, what you can do is just kind of get, a, let's say, a piece of cardboard and round it and put it around the clover, you know, and just shoot the, use Roundup and shoot it right down onto the clover. Okay. Yeah, there's more clover than grass right now. And uh, are you anti-clover? Obviously. I mean... (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) Because, I mean, it came in because your lawn was weak. So Uh you're going to have to, I mean, getting rid of it is the first step, but then you're going to have to improve your your lawn area, your soils, and everything else with the coeration, the composting, and everything else that needs to be done. Or else you're just going to end up in two years or three years from now right back to where you are now. So in other words, you can't just kill the clover off and expect you to have a good lawn. Right, right. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, there's nothing wrong with clover. (laughs) It's easy to take care of. You don't have to do a thing. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I may rethink it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank thank you. you. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's head out to uh, Collinsville. And John, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you? Very good. My question is, it kind of reflects back on the first call, planting grass seed and um, pre-emergent herbicide around the same time. How do you coordinate those two functions? Well, you can't do them both, to be honest. So if you put the grass seed down, you can't put the pre-emergent down. Depending upon what type of pre-emergent, you have to wait for at least two, if not four weeks after you put the seed down before you put a pre-emergent down. And then you're kind of at the point where it's going to be somewhat ineffective because all the, let's say, the seeds from the annual warm season weeds have already germinated, so a pre-emergent's not going to do any good. So Okay, so it's... More or less one or the other at this point? Exactly, right. And then what you want to do is just, you know, in the future, decide how important are, historically, do you have a lot of annual warm season weeds? Uh, Not particularly, no. Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overly worry about it if that's the case. Just if you've got a pretty good thick lawn, then overseeding with the fertilizers and the compost and all that other stuff, keep your lawn as thick as possible if you don't have a really disastrous amount of the annual seeds, you know, germinating, weed seeds germinating. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then you could probably do it again in the fall whenever you're supposed to put the pre-emergence down again. Right. Exactly. So for the for the weeds that are growing right now in lawn, it's the cool season annual weeds, and that's like chickweed, the annual bluegrasses, the Persian Speedwell, which has small blue flowers. But the ones that are going to be germinating now when the forsythia is in bloom is spurge, ragweed, knotweed, lamb's quarter, uh, black medic, uh, car- carpetweed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, those kind of things. So that's kind of what you're looking at. Two totally different kinds of groups of weeds. One can survive the cold. The other one cannot. And the other one that oh. can survive the cold then goes dormant when it starts getting hot. So it dies off, but it's dropped, you know, a heck of a lot of seeds during the time it's been growing. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. So in other words, all those chickweeds that have been growing all winter long have, you know, it's, they're really, really starting to flower, and they're going to be dropping seeds. So, yeah, just use a, a thick lawn is the best thing to help with weed controls. 
So thanks, John. Mike Miller, KM Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head up to Overland and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Good. Mike, I would like to ask you two questions. The first one is we have a big barn in the back of our yard, and we had to have it uh, peered up. So there was like three foot in diameter uh, holes dug down like 20 feet or something like that, 10 or 15 of them. And now it's been about four months. So the, the soil there has compacted a little bit. So maybe there's now two, uh, two feet of a divot where each one of those appearings was put. Could you give me an idea of a slow growing, small, uh, shady area, uh, shrub that I could put in there when we fill it up with dirt and just kind of make it look a little better. Yeah. Don't just fill it with dirt, get a topsoil, you know, compost mix. So in other words, you're saying there, there's still a, there's a depression because the soil has, you know, melted down, settled, and it's two feet deep. Yes. About one and a half to two feet. yeah. Yeah. I mean, just make sure that when you plant that whatever you end up planting there in that situation, that you're going to have it where the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. So don't make it so it's level or anything else. And then, as I said before, get the topsoil compost mix. And it just, you know, it really kind of depends upon what you, you know, what your interest is. I mean, there's, you could put in some hydrangeas like oak leaf hydrangea if you wanted. You could put in viburnums. I don't know how big, you know, what you want to go in there. Yeah, what I'm looking for is to go, like, no taller than three feet and, like, no wider than three feet, just enough to, like, put something in there where the holes are, and you have to leave the the little green things they put in to measure something. You have to be able to get to that. So right. main thing is it's so shady is what I'm worried about. Right. So everything, there's not going to be too many things that are going to stay that small, Probably what I would look at is maybe looking at uh, an, uh, a globe arborvitae, get the dwarf or the pygmy variety, which is going to stay relatively small, grows in a you know, natural round shape, is evergreen. Or you okay. can get you know a type of yew, maybe the hicks yew, which will get taller, but you can prune it every couple of years to keep it you know at the size and it's never going to get wide. So that would be probably a t- two things I'd look at more so than anything else. And was that a Hicks, H-I-C-K-U-S? No, H-I-C-K-S, Hicks, U-Y-E-W. Okay. So that's the upright one. The rest of them will get too wide for what you want and will take a lot more pruning. But the globe arborvitae grows in a natural round shape, maybe alternatum or something along that line. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. And my other question is, I've got window boxes and I'm trying to reduce the weight of them because my husband has to lift them up like one story. Would it work if I put like those plastic peanuts in the very bottom of those boxes and, um, and, and, and also some big containers I have out in the yard? Could I do those plastic peanuts 
to fill that area up, but yet not make it as heavy. Well, it will, but you can't. You got to make sure that you have an adequate amount of potting mix in there, so you can the plant material will survive. Right. So, well, they're pretty. Yeah. So I, I mean, just, to put in, let's say one or two inches of uh, plastic peanuts, you know, in a window box is not going to change the weight all that much. Oh. Do you think it would work at all? Uh, well, I've done it before. It works, you know, f- to a certain point, but uh, you just have to. What happens is because of the plastic peanuts, you know, the the potting mix will start migrating down. Now, what you right. can do is use potting mix, which is pretty light. He could lift them up, and then don't do any watering until they're lifted up and in place. Oh. So in other I, words, you'd have to, you might have to get up on a ladder. That's what I do. Uh huh. And I climb a ladder, and then I have a watering can with me, and then I water once I get them in place, and then that's how I water through the entire growing season. But I use potting mix, not potting soil. Right. Okay. For sure, potting mix. And last question: uh, the the people that do our yard work have cut down our pampas grass, but it's still about. Oh, 18 inches in height of the dead stuff that's above the soil. Right. I went to a, a lady who, who does the golf course, and she said to cut that pampas grass all the way down to the ground. Well, you can't really cut it to the ground, but down to about six inches is, you know, is adequate. Those blades, you know, are not going to come back anyway, regardless of what height they are. You know, the pampas grass is, is a clump grower, so you're going to have new blades coming around on the perimeter. And okay. Okay. So, but if you could get it down to six inches, that would be okay. Right. You can get it to that point. So you can use, that's why I always tell people when they call in about the ornamental grasses is put a bungee cord around them. Then you could use a power hedge trimmer so you can just cut it all off pretty easily rather than trying to... You know, use a lopper or something like that or some kind of shear or, you know, something that makes it very, very difficult to cut. Perfect. Mike, as usual, you're you're a lifesaver. Thank you so much for all you do for us. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. Now let's head up to Randy's yard, and he lives in Oakville, so it'd be south. Hi, Randy. Hi, Mike. Thank you for your service. I have a question. Um... I had a major lawn renovation done last year. We had a we had an old rotting tie wall replaced with a with a you know a block wall, and uh, they compacted the soil. So I I aerated. I went and got uh, five. Well, I had five yards of uh, St. Louis composting dump, uh, some topsoil, spread it all out, this and that. Uh, the grass I put down last fall is coming up kind of thin, so I'm going to overseed. Uh, again this spring. Mm-hmm. My question is, I have a stand-up punching thing in my basement that I had put about four bags of just play sand in, oh, 10 years ago when my boys were punching on it. Right. I've been moving this thing around for 10 years. <laughs> I finally emptied it. So now I got probably four bags of play sand in these two giant, uh, you know, buckets. Right. If I aerated again and got more uh, composting, could I mix that sand in and just disperse it in the lawn? Yeah, Would you that put, do any? 
Yeah, uh, play, you know, playground sand versus traction sand. The playground sand is the really fine, small, granular type things. Now, if this was in a soil circumstance where it had not been improved at all before, I would say no because clay and sand, that kind of sand together, that bakes up in the summertime to make bricks. But since you've okay. already done, you know, some improvements, yes, just spread it lightly through, you know, through your landscape, through the lawn or whatever it happens to be. Well, yeah, I'm going to get some more uh, composting. Right. And I thought, well, uh, as long as I'm aerating again and composting, I could mix this. Because now I got two buckets of sand in my basement that yeah. I got to move around. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to, you know, want to get rid of it. So uh, I could I could intersperse or intermix that with the couple more yards of compost. Yeah, or just, okay. you know, just take shovel and just throw it out and, you know, let, wherever it lands, it lands. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, again, thank you for your service. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, uh, actually, somebody that lives across the alley from me, they had a backboard, and it was, you know, the base of it was filled with sand, and they kind of left it, uh, you know, out in the alley because the city will pick up stuff like that. And I saw the sand that was in there, so what I did is I just, you know, I cut it open, got all the sand out of it, and then I mixed that in with the, the bed space that I have, which is on the back side of my garage, which backs up to the alley. And that's, I grow sedum and stuff in there, which needs, a, you know, really pretty well-drained soil. But it was the same kind of sand, and I had already put organic matter in there, so it really worked pretty well. Let's head now over to uh, Chris's yard. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. How you doing today? Good. Good. Hey, um, I had a question. Um I purchased two uh, probably 10, 12-foot tulip poplars last fall and got them in the ground. And now um, I've had a change of plans where I need to temporarily take those out to do some work around them and then put them back in. I also have a bunch of cedars that I dug up all over my property that I put there as well. Um, And what I was trying to figure out is would it, during this temporary period, I was wondering if I uh, should potentially put them into just a regular pot or it, if one of those um, uh, de- degradable pots, I'm not sure what they're called, um, if I could find one big enough to put those in there and then fill it with some compost or something around it until I can get it back in the ground, which hopefully won't take too long. But um, anyway, that was that was what I was curious about. Now, these are 10 or 12 feet high. That I mean, they had to be in a huge root ball and everything else if these, these trees are that big. Well, they had um, maybe I, <laughs> I never was too good on, on distance or measuring, but the root ball was probably about, um, it was at least 12 to 14 inches. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, the height that you're probably, I mean, it should have been like three times that big if the trees would have been, you know, the height that you're saying. But you could just probably pull them up if you've got a spot and you can, do you still have, did they come in pots originally or were they bald and burlapped? They were burlapped. Okay. So you could probably, if as where you need to move them to while something's being done, how close is it to where they're actually located? Um, I, I can... It, uh, actually, they're going to go back pretty close to where they are. I'm just putting a fence up behind them. Okay. And I want to get the fence up and then place them based on, you know, what the fence 
is doing. So I'm trying to figure out. They they will probably sit. I, I'm going to try to find a good sheltered space, but still getting sun. It's down uh, lit, uh, back on my property, and I'll be able to keep them tied to something so they don't fall over and all that, and keep them watered and that until I can get them back in the ground. Well, you probably don't need to do anything except get the root ball up out of the ground, get them to a you know a place where you can just like sit them and leave them until you're going to relocate them back to what you're talking about and just just put some you know some mulch around them that should be adequate enough because if you go to garden centers they have trees because the roots have not migrated out from the original you know size I wouldn't think in just one year or one season or very little so uh just pull it up you know move them to where you're going to more or less store them you know cover the whole root ball up with mulch and that's probably all you need to do. If you can find a pot okay. that you can put them in, then put them in the pot, and then but still put mulch around the pot too. Gotcha. Um, and the other question I had is, and I, I think I know the answer to the first part of it, which was, can I put um, spikes in them now? But how long should I wait to put the the spikes in once I replant them where they're going? You mean as far as fertilizer goes? Yes, sir. Yeah, probably fertilizing trees like that, I wouldn't fool around with so much. I would just make sure the soil, you know, has really good, high organic, you know, quality content and not worry about the fertilizer so much until they get well established because there's not enough feeder roots to uptake any kind of fertilizer. So you're looking at probably maybe four or five years before there's adequate feeder roots to uptake anything that's going to be let's say, fertilizer-oriented. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I asked because I've been told that if I start spiking them right away, they'll grow like a foot and a half a year. Oh, that's bull. something I'm interested in. <laughs> is it? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll go with your expert opinion. Thanks much, Mike. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if they did grow that much, they still are not going to have an adequate root system to support that growth, so then the tree is going to head downhill. So that's why I'm saying it's bull. Got it. All right. Got it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll keep them well mulched and all that. Right. Sounds perfect. Yeah, just uh, no, don't pile up the mulch next to the trunk, and so kind of create a bagel around it, and about four to six inches is all you need as far as you know, mulch on top of the root ball. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Sure. And now let's head to Vince's yard, and he lives in Fenton. Hi, Vince. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Mike, I have listened to your show just about every Saturday for years, and every year I hear the, the uh, talk about uh, forsythias, and uh, you never tell us what they look like. Uh, are they yellow? Yes, they have yellow flowers in the early spring. Ah. Uh-huh. Now, I have a soil thermometer. I use it every year. The last three days, it's been showing around 59 or 60 degrees. So- uh do you have you checked your soil thermometer lately? Yeah, mine's. You know, mine's. I just make sure you don't check it close to any kind of pavement or anything like that. But mine's, still, you know, is just basically reading in the very low fifties. Uh huh. And I mean, would soil uh, vary temperature vary that much in the metro area from yard to yard? Well, exposure could have a lot to do with it for sure. So, in other words, south-facing, you know, your yard on the south side is going to be different than on the north side. Okay. So probe around at several locations. Just don't stick it in one spot and look at it. 
Uh-huh. Well, that's what I've done. Okay. Uh, but it's been consistently around 59 or 60. Yeah, that seems really high. So it must be hot down there in Fenton. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering, whether or not uh, you had checked your thermometer. I always wonder from year to year why... If you know your soil temperature, why you do not tell all of us what it is well, at this time of year? Just because, you know, I live in the city, so my, you know, my temperatures are going to be different than somebody that lives, let's say, in Fenton or somebody that lives in Oakville or somebody that lives in Alton. I see. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. Mike Miller, KM Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Well, as I was talking to Mr. Kelly at the beginning of the hour, St. Patrick's Day is coming up real soon. And I'll tell you, you go to the stores, the grocery stores, floors, and things like that, you're going to see shamrocks all over the place, some with maroon leaves, some with green leaves. And with this, you know, with the shamrocks, realize that they are going to go dormant in the summertime. That dormancy could last for any place between three weeks to three months, more or less, it's probably going to be in the middle. And during the dormant period, no fertilizer or no water either one. And please be careful and don't overwater them. Excessive water in a saucer, or they're always wrapped in those special foil things. If you put water in there and you feel in the bottom, you can feel the water, dump that out. They don't want excessive water. So in other words, and then before you water again, make sure the soil is really dry. So bright light is important, and the dormancy is going to occur regardless of what you do. So just, again, realize that. You can do a little bit of fertilizing. They should be in flower right now. The flowers are, you know, they're okay. They don't last for a long period of time. The interesting thing about the shamrock is, (coughs) excuse me, at night, they fold up the leaves. Though actually, the clover f- kind of looks like an umbrella that's been dropped down rather than you know sp- expanded out. So that makes them kind of really interesting. Then, as soon as the sun starts coming up or starts getting bright or lighter in the morning, those leaves will just pull themselves up, and it's really kind of a neat circumstance. So, shamrocks have one in your own yard. Mike Miller, our own house. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving it shortly, but right now, Give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Call me. With with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. (laughs) I heard a voice. (laughs) I don't know where that voice was coming from. Uh, To change the subject a little bit, away from St. Patrick's Day and everything else. Yes. Now, you had those trees taken out of your Mm -hmm. yard, and we Mm -hmm. talked last week about what you might potentially be doing. Have you made a decision yet? No. Well, not Officially, I think we're going to put in a raised vegetable garden in part of it. Wow. Yeah, we've got a small one now that we're growing uh, garlic in. And I, and I found something out. If you, you plant garlic, right, you just plant the, the clove. The, yeah. And it, it survived the snow, the ice. It could care less. It's got the green on top. Perfect. Pick that. Take a little bite. 
Oh, man, it's good. All right. It is like a shot of garlic. It is so good. So I think we're going to probably do some, you know, tomatoes, peppers, things along those lines. And so next week or so, I'll be building those. All right. And so that'll be part of it. And I think we're going to expand the garden because without the—that was where the strawberries were growing, but they were under the trees, so it was kind of, you know, okay, you got half a patch. Right. With that gone, the garden actually looks a little smaller now. So I might have to expand the garden, the flower garden too. Ah, the whimsical garden? The whimsical garden, which is still, like I was saying, we have so many bright painted things out there. Even on a dark day like today, you look out and it looks very cheery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. (laughs) Whatever it takes, man, you know? So, yeah, so we have some plans. Yeah, you and Sue have done a good job. Well, thank you. We, We really enjoy it. And boy, last weekend, or when it was so nice on our weekend... Spent a lot of time out there. Your weekend so nice. Monday, Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, right. exactly. So, yeah, it's it's a great time of year for sure. Well, great. Well, thanks, Brian. And thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection. Garden centers are really starting to load up with some plant material. The ups and downs related to annuals. I was talking last week. I bought some. Uh, I didn't buy the pansies. I bought the small flowered violets. Ugh. And unfortunately... One of my six packs, uh, it didn't. It doesn't look so good. So I'm gonna have to take a look at it when I get home and take uh, find out what the story is. I think probably what it was is there could have been a cold breeze one night, and they just weren't. Even though they're like cold temperature tolerant, these were fresh out of a greenhouse, so they may have gotten a little bit of a winter burn to them. But your bulbs, your crocus should be up. The daffodils should be up. Maybe not in flower yet, but thank goodness uh, we're headed in the right direction. Edibles, one of the things I bought when I got the violets, I bought some lettuce and just, you know, put the leaf lettuce in with some of the violets, too, just to make it look a little bit different. Your ground covers, your house plants, how about your lawns, cool season lawn versus warm season lawn, what should you be doing now? Your perennials, your roses, I had a caller last hour about when should she be do, or when should she prune her roses back? Uh, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. Uh, there's a water garden really close to where we live, uh, across actually Gravoy, but uh, anyway, towards Kings Highway. They have it's not a really a big pond. It's in the front yard, city yard, and everything else. But they have four koi in their water garden, and I mean these koi are big. So koi are just kind of like I guess giant. Goldfish is what they are, but uh, they're Japanese. I mean, it was just, it was, I was shocked to see how big they were. Anyway, I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board, behind all the buttons is Alex. He's producing, so he will be answering the phone when you call. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. So if you do have any questions, give us a call. Uh, During the weekends, weekends too, I do walk and talks, which is a landscape consultation. I can come to your home today, Shrewsbury, after the show. So what I do is I come and we talk about uh, landscape design, plants, care, and maintenance and things like that. I no longer am doing any kind of formal drawing, so it's strictly a... You know, audio type thing. So people record on their phones and, you know, take notes. And I make notes on the pieces of paper and stuff like that. I'm just too old to do any drawings. And no, I just, it's a lot of work and uh, I just don't have the energy. But anyway, 
enough of that stuff. Tip of the trials of special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to Brightside St. Louis. What they're doing is it's kind of a unique circumstance. They're calling all litter detectives. They need some help. The Mississippi River Plastic Pollution Initiative. And what they're doing, they're trying to find out and get, you know, find, keep track of where all this plastic that's getting into the Mississippi River, where it's coming from and things like that, and get it cleaned up. So it's really, really crucial. Brightside St. Louis is, you know, involved in lots of different things, getting rid of, you know, graffiti, all sorts of, you know, things all over the place, recycling. It's just amazing what this organization does. So stop and uh, just realize that, uh, I mean, they've already started the training for this plastic litter type thing. And the first session was March 10th. But uh, what you can do is you can just get a hold of Brightside St. Louis. I'm sure there's going to be a scheduled app training again so you can find out what is going on. And in order to keep Brightside friends and staff healthy amidst this covid Please just don't stop by. You know, give them a call. Most of the information can be shared over the phone very easily. 314-772-4646. You can avoid the travel and everything else. And you can be a a neighborhood leader from St. Louis Recycling, as I said before, and uh, just find out about Brightside St. Louis. It's just a wonderful organization been around for a long time and they've done some major things some major changes and they take care of the landscaping around the st louis city hall too as well so brightside st louis gets a tip of the trial this week again their phone number 314-772-4646 mike miller k mrs garden hotline back after these messages welcome back to the st louis composting garden hotline once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got some phone lines open if you have any questions, concerns, or comments. Let's start off with Greg. Greg, how are you today? Morning, Mike. Good morning. Hey, uh, I got a rose bush. It's about five foot tall, and it's pretty old. Uh, I was wondering if it's too late to trim it back, prune it. Well, take a look and see if the you know if the buds are starting to open up. Then, if they're just barely open, then no, you should be fine. Well, it's got little green sprouts coming off of branches, off the stems. Yeah, but they're about they're about an inch long. Ooh, so that's pretty big. So they've you know. Well, maybe a half inch. Yeah. Well, you can go ahead and prune it. Uh, just in the future, it's better to prune it earlier than it is, you know, being, you know, pruning it now. Because you could set it back. Just make sure you don't do a whole lot of pruning. Uh, how, how far down could I take it? Now you're saying it's a it's a shrub type rose, or is it like just three or four stems? Oh, it's it's a shrub. It's it's real. It's a it's about five foot tall. It's been here in this yard for quite a many years. Right. So I would probably just, I would say maybe take an inch off. That's all I would take. Uh, not an inch, I'm sorry, a foot. <laughs> a foot. <laughs> yeah, an inch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, take, a, take it back a foot and then, you know, you know get to, wait to, for a little bit. 
and then uh, probably towards uh, mid-April or so, get some rose food and start fertilizing it. Okay. Uh, listen, I got uh, one more question here. Uh, I got a snowball plant. Can I trim that back? Uh, is it a spring bloomer? So is it? you're talking hydrangea, big round ball? Yeah, it's a big round ball. It's a big tall. It's about five foot tall too. Yeah. Now, if it's one that if it's a PG hydrangea, it blooms in the springtime. If you prune it now, you're pruning off the flowers for this year. If it's one that uh, blooms in the summertime, then you know you go. You can go ahead. Anything that blooms in the summer, you can prune now because it basically sets its flower buds on new growth of this year. But if it's going to be bloom, if it's a spring bloomer, the buds are already set for the flowers, even if it's not obvious. Yeah, I'm just looking at it right now, and it's starting to get little buds coming out of the branches. I'd probably wait. Yeah. And just kind of live with it as the size. And then next, you know, when it finishes flowering, just go ahead and cut it back at that time. Okay. Well, see, the reason I asked about these are I just moved in this property. Oh. And I, I I come and looked at these things, so and, uh, I wanted to see what I could do with them. Sure. Okay, Mike. Thanks for your service. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Now let's head over to Caseyville and go into Ray's yard. Hi, Ray. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Listen, I got a low-creeping weed. I believe it's chickweed, but I really don't know. What's the shape of the leaf? Well, it's just a shark. Dark green. Is it kind of a roundish leaf? Uh, I really didn't pay that much attention. Okay. I just seen it shooting up now. Yeah, so it, they grow pretty flat to the ground, and they'll have small white flowers. So if it is chickweed, there's not really too much you can do. I mean, you can go out there with like a broadleaf weed killer, like a weed be gone type thing. But uh, in the future, if you have a real nasty amount of the chickweed, then next, you know, this upcoming August, that's when you'd put the pre-emergent down. Oh, too late now or try it anyway? Yeah, pre-emergent won't do anything for the chickweed at all. Oh. The chickweed's already up and growing. Pre-emergents kill things as the seed germinates. So these annual, these annual weeds, you know, They've dropped the seeds on the ground, and the seeds just lay there until the proper time of year for them to germinate. Will it keep spreading? Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, okay. But there's no weed killer I can put on there? You could use like a weed-be-gone type thing. Oh, okay. A broadleaf weed killer. But there's probably already seeds that have been dropped because it's been flowering and growing virtually all winter long. And it will continue to grow up until the weather gets hot. Then this is since it's a cool season annual weed. When it gets warm, then it kills it off. The heat, the soil temperature kills it. So, oh, okay. But it drops seed the whole time it's been growing. Okay. I appreciate your call. Sure. Bye. Thank you. And now let's go to into Eric's yard. Hi, Eric. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I got a question about a, I've got a full-grown oak tree. Can I still prune a, a couple limbs off of that, or is it too late in the 
Uh, it's not ideal. It's better to do during total dormancy, but uh, they probably haven't started to push out any, you know, any kind of growth yet as far as the leaves go. The reason why I'm saying that is it's not because it's going to impact the leaves necessarily. What you're doing is you're opening up wounds from the pruning that, you know, potentially could be, let's say, where you could have bacteria, fungus, virus, you know, and introduced into the tree, into those open wound areas. That's what the disadvantage of pruning when the humidity and the weather changes is on trees like oaks. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, not recommended then. Right. Do it yeah. basically next year. I mean, the oaks hold on to the leaves a long time. So sometime after Thanksgiving, before this time of year, you should be you know, fine as doing the pruning. All right. Very good. Thank you, Mike. Sure. Yeah. And now let's head from Eric's to Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Yeah, hello. Hi. Yeah, I know you've probably answered this question 20 times today, but I just started listening. Uh, pre-emergent. Is it too soon or too late already? Well, one gentleman called, and he lived in Fenton, and he said his soil temperature is 59. So basically, soil temperatures, when they get above 50, that's when the seeds start germinating. The soil temperature in my yard, I live in the city, is in the very, just kind of at the cusp of, you know, upper 40s and lower 50s. But, you know, I always tell people in your neighborhood, watch for the yellow forsythia to be in bloom because that indicates the forsythia will be in bloom when the soil temperature is basically 50. So that's sort of the way without having a soil thermometer. So it just depends upon exposure and things like that. We're right on the cusp of getting this stuff down. So we're right. I I went to, uh, you could go online to local soil temperatures. Uh-huh. And it tells you exactly what, you know, if you type in your, your city, it'll tell you what your current temperature is, your 24-hour average, and then a five-day average. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it says right now it's 47 degrees, and over the five-day average, it was 54 degrees, so... If that's correct, I'm assuming it is. I don't know how they know that. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, 47 is a little cool. So, I mean, uh-huh. it takes, you know, 50. But So if it was 50, you know, I don't know how many days it was, 54, or, you know, five-day average or whatever. But uh, also the, you've got to, you know, push the probe down deep into the ground. The surface is going to be warmer than what it is a little bit deeper. But the soil, the, the weed seeds are right at the surface. So I would say... Uh, you you know it's kind of a little bit iffy, but I would put it down if you're seeing in your area, you know, wherever you happen to live. Are you in the city? No, I'm out at uh, Lake St. Louis. Okay, wow, that's surprising. But anyway, so I would say we're kind of right at that moment where it could go one way or the other. The thing about putting pre-emergent down, let's say you went and got it today. If we have the storms that they're talking about tomorrow and on Monday, then it's it's basically dissipates it. That's what I was gonna say. Like, should now you should probably wait until the the rains kind of, right? I guess, wash out of here before we we put it down. Then, yeah. Huh? When it's, you know, I mean, because they're saying it could be a really drenching rain tomorrow, and so that's you know that would be my concern. That'd be a waste, I guess. Yeah. Uh, my other thing was you had mentioned something about uh, poor soil conditions and that you should you know aerate and then get some uh, organic. Uh, yeah, compost. Compost, yeah. So if they come out and aerate, and then you pick up, say, a truckload of uh, 
what do you call it stuff? Uh, compost. Compost. Do you just kind of spread it out with like a shovel through your yard and rake it in, or how? how do yeah, you, you can that? certainly do it that way. I mean, there's machines to do it, but it's just as easy to spread it yourself. So you're not necessarily going to get it all into go into every hole. You're just trying to get it over, you know, over all the surface. And some of it will fall down in the hole, and some of it will just melt from the surface down. So that's what you know, what you're saying is yes. Just basically spread just it out of, as you know as good as you can. Spread it with a shovel, and then go back with a leaf rake so you can you know get it a little bit thin. But don't put it, don't have it where you just dump a shovel full someplace, and it turns into be somewhat like a mound. Yeah, you want to like spread it like. Uh... Like grass seed or like fertilizer, if, if exactly. you could. I know right. it's too chunky or too big to put it in a spreader, but uh, huh? Okay, very good. Well, thank you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are you know spreaders that you can rent and things like that, which are basically built for you know compost. The side, you know, the chunks and all that other stuff is certainly a concern, but just doing it by hand, there's nothing wrong with doing that. So, thanks, Rick. Okay. And now let's get another call in before we go to break. And let's go to John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about uh, grub control mm-hmm. and timing to uh, to put that down in the spring. Uh, basically, we're really looking at it's a little bit early because you want them. They're still down pretty deep, so you want it to you know you want them to start to migrate up. So probably I'd wait for another. Uh, Oh, maybe a month or so before I put it down. Okay, so early, early summer. Yeah, right. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And again, I mean, it's hard to put a calendar date because of soil temperatures and things like that. But you know, it's just they they're down low because of the cold. Then they start migrating up to the you know up to the surface, and then when when they get closer to the surface, that's when they start doing the damage to the bluegrass. Basically, they only go after and do damage to bluegrass lawns because they eat the root systems. And the, the fescues, they don't. The zoises, they don't. They could be present in the lawns, but they don't do the damage. Okay. I'd always heard that moles are the, uh, one of the reasons you might have moles is, is the presence of grubs well, in the they, yard. Well, that is to a certain point, but moles, their main diet is earthworms. So their migration through your yard is they hear earthworms tunneling around. Then they dig towards where they're hearing that sound, where grubs just basically lay there and don't make any sound. So if a mole hears an earthworm someplace and he's tunneling over to that earthworm sound and he comes across a grub, yes, he will eat it. But he's not going to, I mean, basically they're not there. That It's more or less like an appetizer. It's not a meal for them. Okay. Okay. So earthworms are is what they're they're after. That's their main diet. Yes. Okay. So I appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. Okay. Take care. Yep. Bye. Same to you. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, the caller last, uh, b- before the, we went to a break, was talking about the grubs. And first call we've had this year, you know, doing, related to the grubs. Uh, just a few quick facts on the grubs. We've got five different varieties. They're the May, Annual, Green, June, and Japanese variety of uh, 
you know, basically what they are, larvae of beetles. And they do their damage. Basically, they're coming up to the surface in from like uh, early, let's say mid-spring up into the summertime. And then they stay there and continue to do the damage. But mainly they only do damage to bluegrass. They don't do damage to fescues or to zoysia grasses. They can be present. And how you can tell is if you have some in your yard, you'll see a little bitty mound of a, kind of a small pile of dirt. And that's where the you know grub's circumstance is. And uh, now let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. Uh, I bought a butterfly bush last year, uh-huh. and it was about 18 inches tall, and now it's about 3 foot tall, and I haven't done anything. When's the best time to trim it back? Basically, you want to get it done. Since it's a summer bloomer, you can prune it from now until you start to see some growth. And because it does put the flower buds on the new growth of this year. So prune it as soon as you possibly can. All right. And uh, about how far back can I cut it? Uh, I would say not, you know, since it's brand new, it's relatively only been in the ground a year. I do minimum amount of pruning because the leaves are going to help get the root systems established. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Appreciate your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Hello, Rich. Oops, sorry, Rich. And now let's go to Joe, and Joe lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Joe. Good morning. Hi. I have, well, let me start. Four or five years ago, I had a beautiful zoysia lawn. Then we took an extended vacation in the middle of a drought and came home, and everything was, was burnt out. So I, I, I planted some fescue in some of the worst spots. Now I've got kind of a mishmash of fescue and zoysia. Mm-hmm. So I, do I take care of the lawn like it's going to be an all zoysia lawn again, or do I and not do anything till it turns green, or do I aerate now and, and throw the compost down? I'm kind of at a loss here. <laughs> Well, you've got a mixed message for sure. So what, you know, I mean, they're two totally different circumstances. It's a little bit early to be doing the core aeration on your zoysia. I would do that right as a zoysia greens up. But the fescue is still, I mean, it should be green all winter long. It doesn't go totally dormant like the zoysia does in the summertime, but it just slows down. So it just depends upon which one that you prefer, which one you like the best. Then I would orient my, you know, core aeration, fertilizing, and everything else. Because what you're going to be doing is, if you're going to be feeding the zoysia, that's going to be in the summertime. But that's a time when you do not want to feed your fescue. So you've got to decide which one is the most important to you. Isn't going to end up being all zoysia sooner or later anyway? Well, it's a slow migration. People always think zoysia overtakes everything, but it's that's not necessarily the case. Okay, okay, that's what I was okay. Thank you. You've been a great help. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, what you can do too to you know to get your zoysia, you can go to the favorite garden center and get a you know pieces of sod or get the zoysia plugs and just add some of that into the areas where that you have the fescue. So. Okay. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to O'Fallon and see what's going on in O'Fallon. Hello. Hi, Mike. Hi, Hi Mike. Uh, this is Betsy. Um, I have a question. Um, I've looked on the Missouri Botanical Gardens website about the plant finders, and I'm interested in planting uh, possibly a rhododendron 
And I wanted to get your take on what is the best rhododendron to plant since there's so many on their website in the state of Missouri. Um, <laughs> and how much sun do they really need as far because the area I have is, is uh, gets all morning sun, but not too much in the afternoon. I didn't know if it would do well there. Well, if... First of all, is the area that's created, the shade that's in the area that you're talking about, is it created by large trees? Um, partially, yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, any but, kind of rhododendron, any kind of broadleaf evergreen is going to have a tough time there. So okay. whether it's an azalea, rhododendron, or anything else. And I'm speaking of the fact that when I was at the Botanical Garden working in English Woodland Garden, they planted it in 76 Lots of 13 different varieties of rhododendrons and azaleas in there. And I started there in 77, and they, I mean, they really struggled, struggled, struggled at best. Some of the varieties did okay. The majority of them didn't do so well because the English Woodland Garden was full of large trees, and competing with that large tree root systems, that's where the trouble comes in. So just realize that that's where the case is. The sun and all that other stuff is certainly important. But competition with tree roots is more important than anything else. They do need an acidic soil. And probably if I was going to pick one variety that I think is going to be the best out of you know, all the rhododendrons, it's one that has kind of a purplish flower, and it's called PJM. PJM. Right. Okay. That's the one that um. there is smaller, smaller varieties, smaller leaf. But I, you know, they seem to, you know, be able to adapt the best. But still, they they could potentially have a struggle. Okay. Do you recommend any other type of flowering shrub for? I have an area to the on the northern side of my front porch. There is a tree semi close to it, but this is the area I'm looking at, and it gets morning sun till about noon to one o'clock, especially in the summertime. Um, but not too much in the afternoon. Right. So my the impatience did great there last year, but um, and this is a newer home for us, so we're I'm getting used to everything. Sure, <laughs> how, how stuff grows. But do you recommend any other flowering shrub that could maybe work there? Well, I would look at some of the you know some of the hydrangeas are shade tolerant, like the oak leaf hydrangea. I mean that's one okay. if you want something that blooms earlier, like a witch hazel, which is basically bloomed you know, already finished blooming. So it just depends upon, you know, when you want the the flowering circumstance to happen. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your show on Saturday mornings. You always start my Saturday out wonderful. Thank oh, you. Great. Well, thanks. And let's get one more call in, and let's go to Danny's yard. Hi, Danny. Hello, Mike. It's Hi. a pleasure to speak with you. I uh, ordered two trees yesterday. I ordered a service berry and a hickory tree from Stark Brothers. And the invoice said that they're going to ship next week, the week of the 14th. I was curious with the forecast for the rain and everything, would it be a good idea to go dig the holes today and then try and cover them up with something or just wait and see when they arrive? And if it's raining when they arrive, what's what's the best way to preserve them until I can get them in the ground? Uh, basically, if they're are they coming in? Uh, are they going to be potted? Or are they going to be bald and burlapped? I think the service berry it said was like a bare root, and then I believe the hickory mm. said it was going to be three to four feet or something along yeah, that line. Both so pretty small. 
So I would say, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about it, uh, if, especially if they're bare root. This seems a little, you know, you're kind of taking an iffy chance. But, uh, you know, to just go out and dig a hole, I would say it's not – I wouldn't be worried so much about the the rainfall all that much. Probably what I would do personally is I would just, go, you know, go to your favorite garden center or get some pots. I'd grow them for a year or two in a pot. But what I'd do is – Put the you know the bare root plants in the pot. Put a potting soil mix in there, topsoil compost mix, and then I would sink the whole you know sink that pot into the area where you're actually going to be growing the thing in the future. And because I mean to get the growth control in a situation where it's in a pot is going to be much easier to, to control rather than putting a bare root plant in the ground. You know with the way our screwy weather is. Okay, so just leave it after I get it in the pot and put it in the ground, then it will grow through the pot. Or no, no, just leave it for oh, okay. you know, just leave it oh, okay. for a couple of years, you know, a okay. year or two, then pull it out of the pot, then plant it in the location where you want it. Okay. So in All other right. words, you're going to you. be you're going to become a nursery yourself. Well, that's the last thing I need. And, uh, <laughs> I figured uh, if anybody knew how to do it right, it'd be you. And uh, I, I appreciate the guidance on yeah. it, Mike. It's just, uh, you know, a lot of times production, you know, I mean, retail nurseries get a lot of stuff bare root and they pot them up and then sell them. Because when I worked at, uh, when I left the Botanical Garden, I went to Old Orchard Gardens, which is a nursery in West County. We got a lot of bare root stuff and potted it up you know, early in the season and just grew it from that standpoint. So that's where this whole idea of putting bare root stuff in pots works out really quite well. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. We're all getting anxious for uh, homegrown food, vegetables, all that other stuff. Uh, Tomato plants, you can start the seeds now if you want to, or you can just wait and don't bother planting them outside or getting any from a retail garden center until about May 1st. That's the best time to get tomatoes going. So let's, where should we head? Hmm, 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 hmm. Let's go over to Diane's yard. Hi, Diane. Yes, hi. hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a very large ornamental grass. I believe it's Hamlin grass, mm-hmm. um, four feet diameter at the base, probably six plus feet tall, that I need to remove because I discovered during the uh, bad snowstorm we had with all that wind exactly where the wind is blowing, and it is funneling between the two houses and aimed directly at this, which is why I can never grow it straight and have to support it every year. <laughs> What's the best way of removing that? They don't have just digging it. It would be the best way. They don't have a really extensive root system. So however wide it is, just take a spade, not a shovel. A spade's one with a square bottom. That's much easier to you know to dig. So just go out about three or four inches beyond where the blades are and just start cutting a hole all the way around and then kind of pry you know prying it up. That would oh. be the best way to do it because if you let's say you wait till it starts greening up and then just kill it with an herbicide, you're still going to have to get rid of the blades. So you might yes. as well just dig it and get rid of them that way. And how deep would I need to dig? Probably just like one spade deep. Oh. So it's not really a deep, extensive root system at all. Okay, that is perfect. And then once I dig it out, 
do I need to let it let that area go for a while, or can I plant a holly in there right away, or what? Uh, I would improve the soil, and you know, depending upon how quick that that you can get this done, I wouldn't want to plant a holly in that location going into summertime. So, okay, if you get the soil improved and ready, then you could maybe later on, and let's say mid August or so get a holly and plant it then because it's going to be heading in towards the dormancy of fall. Okay. So take it out with a spade, one spade deep, let it go and just improve the soil. Uh, how should I just put, I have good topsoil, can I just put that there or should I mix it with some peat or what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, your holly likes an acidic soil, so, I mean, that's the peat would certainly help change the acidity. Okay. And usually so the ornamental grasses, they're going to do best when the soil is more or less neutral or slightly alkaline. Okay. And then let it go till mid-August and plant my holly. Right. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Bye-bye. And now let's go over to Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Hi. Uh, you caught me running the water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the kitchen sink, so I was getting something done. Um, I have questions about grass, and I think you talked to somebody just as I flipped into you. Um, and I, you were, they were talking about zoysia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for a grass that is really, really strong roots because of three big dogs. Um, and I'm wondering what you'd recommend. Is zoysia the one or, I mean, basically, I really no, if you have big dogs that run along the fence and stuff like that, nothing is going to survive. But we need to plant grass. So what would you recommend? What's the strongest? Well, I would say if I was going to plant anything and you're not, it doesn't have to be a lawn necessarily, I'd look at planting clover, Dutch white clover. Oh, no, no, she wants grass. Okay, so probably I would go with fescue. Fescue, that's what I use, and I don't, I don't know. I find my zoysia to be stronger with my smaller dogs. Well, smaller dogs and big dogs are two different things. If you want to go with, uh, you know, the fe- you know. The zoysia, that's fine, but uh, the big dogs are going to just trample it to death. Really? Yep. And you think the fescue, is there a certain type of fescue I should look for? No, I would probably just get a fescue blend. A blend? Yeah. Will that have a lot of weed seed in it then? No, that just means different kinds of fescue, not weeds. Okay. Um, No particular brand that doesn't make any difference? No, not really. I mean, just... uh, it's you know all basically all grown on more or less farms that grow fescue for you know harvesting the seeds. So just get a fescue blend. That's going to be better than one particular variety. Okay. Um, and uh, con- soil conditioning. What do you need to do before you put this in? You need to get the soil worked up because if they're just if the you know the areas are already tamped down by the dog, you throw grass seed just on it by as it is. It's not even going to germinate. It may germinate, but it's not going to get be able to penetrate. So these areas have to be really worked up. I mean, it's just it's going to be a long, involved process. Okay. And in the past, when I've sown grass here in my yard, I have mixed it with some. Uh, I get a better grade dirt or soil, and mix it together and and put it down. Is that does that work better? Yeah, well, you can do that, or you can just get your seed and then, you know, mix it, mix it in with some compost topsoil mix. Top, compost topsoil mix. Okay. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. appreciate your help. Well, sure, my pleasure. But I'm telling you, I mean, no grass is going to survive big dogs. There's no getting around it. 
Let's go now to Henry. Can you do it kind of quick? Yeah. Mike, how are you? Good. Good. Hey, um, we've got some uh, rose mallow coming in from the Missouri Department of Conservation from the seedling program. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to, my wife likes high, are the um, hibiscus, but never have luck with them in the pot. So we're going to plant these in the ground. Um, they're supposed to arrive the first week of April. Can I plant them pretty much when I get them after I prep the soil or how long should I wait? And then the second part is uh, maintenance um, as far as uh, pruning them back. Well, how should I do that each year? I would just leave them alone for the f- first three or f- you know three years or so. Don't do any kind of pruning at all. And also just they want a highly organic soil. So get the, you know, the area that you're going to plant them, get that all worked up. So as soon as they arrive, you can get them into the ground. Okay, perfect. Thanks for the time. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, uh, you could plant, you know, try to grow them. Like I always talk about growing them in pots for the first year, first two years before you actually put them in the ground. But if you want to get them in the ground ASAP, just make sure the soil has been prepared because they're going to do a lot, you know, a lot better in a well-prepared soil versus just a soil that, uh, uh, it's just like soil. So it's the, I mean, plant material, especially bare root that's coming like this, and they've been grown in an ideal circumstance. They've been harvested where the root system, there's still some feeder roots and everything there. Yes, correct. But there's still the ability of them get to survive is going to be really, really tough. So just make sure that you spend some time preparing that soil in the location if you want to put them straight into the ground. And for everybody else, greatly appreciate you, you, know, you having me on your show today. Some of the things that you need to be thinking about your house plants, just realize that if you start seeing tips of the plant leaves burning, it's because of your miswatering or for over-fertilizing or things like that. So uh, check for insects. This is the time of year when they're going to show up. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.